Talk Recorded live. Hello, everyone. I apologize for the technical glitch this morning. Um, they uh, they renewed the TalkShoe account, but they had our old credit card for the center, and so I had to re-enter <laughs> all of our information so uh, we could, um, you know, do what we do. So I think everybody's actually here. I know Mark is in Puerto Vallarta, so he won't be joining us today, but I see uh, Jen O'Brien. That's right, you see me. <laughs> and I see uh, Brandon Kniefel. Hello. Hello, and I see Ellie Wallace. Ah. Hi, and I see uh, Silky Powlin. I'm here. I see you. And I see, <laughs> I see uh, Zach Gower. I see you, looking good. All right, and... Um, Oh, last but certainly not least, I see Martha Contreras. Morning. Good morning. Okay, everyone. Let's get comfortable. And, uh, oops, sorry, got to grab Old Faithful, my my crystal friend. And let's sit with our spine erect. So nice straight spine. We're going to do a grounding meditation and prayer. So taking a deep breath in, we breathe out and we just relax our physical body. We take a breath in and we relax our feet. And we take a breath in. And on the exhale, we relax our tummy. And we take a breath in. And on the exhale, we relax our hands. And another breath. And on the exhale, we relax our shoulders. And the final breath. And as we breathe out, we relax the area around our ears and eyes and our jaws. And we gently allow our attention to fall on our breath. Inhale and exhale. And I invite you to use your imagination. And together we invite waves of violet light, a light purple light, to flow through our physical body. The violet flame. We invite and ignite the violet flame to flow through our physical body from the top of our head down to our toes. This is the flame of divine alchemy of transmutation, transforming that which appears to be darkness into light, that which appears to be separation into wholeness, 
that which appears to be negative into positive. All in appearance. And so it simply supports us in aligning with our true self. All blocks energetically in our physical body melt away, transforming into golden light that floats into the collective. This golden light acts as medicine for all those who suffer, all those who feel alone. As we continue to purify our physical body, our energetic centers aligning perfectly, our chakras, And we uh, see in our mind's eye the violet flame expanding three feet above us, three feet below, three feet to the right and three feet to the left, three feet in front and three feet behind. This is our auric field, and it's cleansing and clearing that space, repairing any rips or tears that might be there. And then we send waves of the violet flame through our emotional body. And this is like cleaning out an overpacked garage. And it's supporting us in releasing any past experiences that we're clinging on to that create upset in our life. Any judgment, any opinion that keeps us firmly rooted in separation from others. Relationships that we have been unable or unwilling to forgive, this acts as a healing balm on those relationships. Experiences that occurred that shifted our perception of the world. creating an us versus them, a sense of being under attack or vulnerability. This flame also helps us cut the cords to the past so we can harvest only the love, only the loving wisdom that is to be gained from every experience. I invite you to take a deep breath in here and exhale. And I invite you to send the violet flame of divine alchemy and divine transmutation through your mental body. The space where there feels like so much density, so many thoughts, so many goals, so many things to do your analytical mind. We send this light there just to create space, to create stillness, to create silence. And within the silence is the opportunity to hear clearly the guidance of your guiding angels, your teachers, your divine intuition, your loving intuition, 
always guiding you forward, always life-giving, always creative, always expansive, never limited. And we send waves of this violet flame to our etheric body, our energetic body, recharging, rejuvenating, restoring to its natural state of pristine awareness, clarity. And we extend the violet flame to fill the room that we are sitting in. So from floor to ceiling, wall to wall, there's only the violet flame. Take a moment to feel that, to hold that image in your mind. Breathe in the flame, exhale the flame. And in your mind's eye, I invite you to see a holy altar. This can look however it's supposed to look for you. It could be an intricate Buddhist altar. It could be a simple table. And I'm going to invite you to begin to place objects on this altar that symbolize places in your life that you feel stuck, Place objects on the altar that symbolize relationships that feel codependent or dysfunctional or upsetting in any way. Place objects on the altar that symbolize past resentments that you're, how you haven't 100% cleansed and cleared yourself. You haven't completely released and healed. Even if it's just 1% left, let's place that on the altar. And I'm going to offer you a minute or so to just really do some house cleaning, really place anything that feels heavy, any judgment, any belief about yourself or others that feel limiting, that feels stifling. Place an object on the altar that symbolizes that relationship for yourself.
And when you feel complete, I invite you again, using that valuable resource, that valuable tool, your imagination. See yourself reach into your pocket, pull out a box of matches, strike a match, and notice that the flame on the match is a beautiful purple. And we fling the match to the altar, and we see the entire altar consumed in violet flame. And from the top of the flame billows a golden smoke. The smoke floating into the sky. Again, this golden smoke is the healing essence. It's good medicine. It's all the wisdom that you've cultivated through these experiences that you are now transmuting into loving wisdom to share with the collective. It floats into the sky and it floats through the interwebs the energetic interwebs that connects all of us, connectivity flowing to all of those who feel stifled, who feel as though they're struggling, who feel as though they are suffering, and this brings them peace, support, love. And take a moment to dedicate the healing, the releasing of these past experiences that you're no longer going to be bringing with you in the way that you have to this point and dedicate them now to the healing of all. And in your mind's eye, bow to the altar, which is now completely empty. Everything you place on the altar has transmuted and transformed into loving wisdom that we are sharing with everyone because we're one with them. And let's take a deep breath of gratitude. And I'm going to invite you to place a hand on your heart and one hand on your solar plexus, which is right above your belly button. Flat, open hands. Feel the warmth of your hands on your solar plexus and on your heart. Take a deep breath in, and we'll declare this a breath of gratitude. So grateful, so thankful to come together in sacred practice and sacred circle to offer up that which no longer serves so that we can clear the channels allowing us to hear clearly the guidance of our loving intuition. And so we offer up any dust, any plaque of separation, of misperception, of distrust, anything that might prevent us from being completely present in this moment, with this breath, in this group. We offer it up. And we declare that we are worthy. I am worthy to experience the peace of God. I am worthy to share the wisdom of the divine. I am worthy to be a channel of love, of light. I am the light of the world. And we activated deeper listening today as we go forward together 
with our divine companions, our fellow practitioners, and explore more deeply the truth that connects us all. We dedicate to healing all the benefits of today's prayer, practice, teaching, to anyone who feels alone. May they feel the loving embrace of the divine, which is always here, always available. In grace and gratitude, we go forward with an open heart and mind and perfect congruency in a state of celebration and curiosity. And we allow it to be. And so it is. Amen. Amen. So as we continue our conversation of forgiveness and begin to explore the text of radical forgiveness, which is a topic, you know, forgiveness is a topic that we've talked about a lot. And we continue, we'll continue to talk about it because it's a foundational practice and Perhaps, perhaps our most valuable tool that we have to use um, on the path. And I was uh, contemplating where to begin the conversation today. And after reviewing some of the material and sitting with it and doing some reading, some other reading on forgiveness. I got clarity that we should begin our conversation today with talking about the idea that we are never upset for the reason we think we are. We are never upset for the reason we think we are. This is something that my teacher, Jennifer, would say Pretty much it was on on repeat. She'd say it at least two or three times (laughs) in every class that I had, uh, that I was in with her for probably the first two or three years. We're never upset for the reason we think we are. And I would hear her say it, and I think that I understood it on an intellectual level. Like, I kind of got it, but I didn't really, like, on a deeper, like, a soul level, like, you know how you can understand something, but it doesn't really sit with you. It doesn't really set in until it, you're ready to receive it. And in contemplation yesterday, it really came up to me that the practice of forgiveness, the tool of forgiveness, um, is designed to support us in understanding why we think we're upset. It answers that question. Uh, well, if we're never upset for the reason we think we are, then why are we upset? <laughs> so forgiveness, true forgiveness, supports us in doing a little investigative work. And why I really love radical forgiveness is because it is sort of a really great guide for us to explore what's really going on. Because we might think that we're upset at someone because they said something or did something, but if we're never, and never is a, is a really important word in that, we're never upset for the reason we think we are. 
think about all the times you've been irritated or annoyed and you were certain it was because of a certain, uh, something that somebody did or something somebody said or, I mean, I keep going back to the election because it's such an easy example and yet I've really noticed that I've been doing so much work around in the realm of forgiveness around this election that I don't know like what's happened, but I'm just not hearing much about it right now. It's just not in my periphery. Um, And it was so in my face. And now it's just so not in my periphery um, because I've taken it upon myself to use this time to go into deep practice because I was so upset. And I know that anything that compromises my peace of mind is a false idol. So I was creating a false idol out of the election in some capacity. I allowed it to have a power over me that it didn't need to have. And someone's judgment's perspective, platform, I was giving permission to have power over me. And so I went into the inquiry process. If we're never upset for the reason we think we are, then why am I upset? What is it here? And it felt so reminiscent of the experiences that I had with Prop 8. And um, Jennifer, I know that you are in, you were in Washington, but I'm sure that you heard of Prop 8, which was the, uh, you know, the legislation that was passed that banned gay marriage, same-sex marriage in California after it was passed. So, um, uh, and that was during when we were, you know, um, building Inspire. And so a lot of our conversation about peace revolved around that, our ability to forgive those who seemed to oppose us and how can we work with that. And so I really had the experience of thinking, wow, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm feeling like there are those who oppose me. It seems like it. I mean, it's manifesting in legislation in different states. California, it's manifesting in the, um, I mean, the hate speech that's coming from uh, specific candidates. And how do I work with this? How How do I stand in peace and as peace and as a peacekeeper and visionary in my own life while there are waves and waves of upset and outrage around me? How do I stand in the vision of peace? And the answer for all eternity is go within. (laughs) I really loved uh, Jennifer's conversation last week about nonviolence. I loved a lot of the stuff that Brandon was posting about nonviolence. I think, uh, Brandon, you really picked up on something very smart uh, and uh, very um, insightful about where nonviolence begins, which is within the individual, within myself. And so I had to do a lot of work. I've done a lot of work this week. I've spent a lot of time in deep practice just offering up feelings of um, anger, feelings of upset, and allowing myself to be in inquiry, what's really going on, what's really going on. And um, what came up for me 
which was interesting uh, is sort of the archetype that I have a lot of judgment against. The archetype of, um, I mean, I'll call him the politician, but really it's the um, white male, white conservative male who, you know, um, controls and manipulates through oppression through money, using money and stuff. And um, when I really peeled off the layers, it was definitely an experience I had with my father, my father being a conservative, upper-middle-class, white male that felt like his, perspe- his, his opinions were so hurtful to me because I interpreted them in a way that made me feel that he didn't respect me, he didn't care for me, he didn't love me, he didn't see me. And so I had so much charge around that. And really, whenever I would be ignited by um, a politician, a conservative white politician, what I began to understand was that was um, an opportunity coming up to heal a belief I had around my father um, and about how he treated me because... I've done so much work with my dad that um, around my dad and with my dad one-on-one together that um, I really was able to see his perspective. I've been able to get clear that he's always loved me. Maybe he didn't know how to communicate very well, but there was never a lack of respect and how much he honors me and appreciates me today. And all of that came from, you know, this work. I was able to start dialoguing with him and so much of the past was released. And yet there's a, there is that, um, there was the dust of that upset, the dust of that belief system still active within me that was creating a lot of upset during this, you know, watching. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm very mindful of not, of trying not to like put my own political beliefs, but I'll just be authentic and share my experience of listening to Donald Trump and Ted Cruz spin the uh, so much, um, racism and misogyny and homophobic, all those homophobic remarks and things like that that I was taking really personally. But when I was able to really commit to the practice of releasing that within me and, and also taking responsibility for, well, where am I oppressive? Where am I manipulative? Where am I being a politician in my life? And being able to see, take a... Um, you know, allow myself to say, okay, where do I participate in similar uh, behaviors because, um, you know, where am I racist? Where am I homophobic? Where am I misogynistic? Where am I creating separation? Where am I a bully? Where am I exhibiting the same sort of behaviors in my life? And I was able to take a a real thorough inventory of myself and see, oh, okay, I see where actually that comes up to play in my own life. And because we're never upset for the reason we think we are, and we're and all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. And when we are activated and triggered by someone else's personality, it's because we're we're judging. You know, it's all self-judgment that we're projecting onto them. So where am I a dictator? Where am I wreaking havoc? You know, where am I saying what I think? Um, what I think other people want to hear to get a specific reaction or response? Where am I being inauthentic? And this is the work that we get to do. Um, This is what is meant when we say we are purifying our thinking. We're purifying our mind so that, you know, 
And, and let's get clear. It's not that we're condoning other people's behavior at all. It doesn't mean that we have to respect the platform. It doesn't mean anything like that. And it definitely doesn't mean that we don't take a stand for what we believe is um, important. We don't take a, it doesn't mean we don't take a stand for what we believe is the most loving, peaceful, and unifying platform. Absolutely. Our energy, our essence, our where we place our attention, where we place our support is so valuable. It's so powerful. It's so important. But we can do so with clear perspective. We can do so without villainizing or making um, or energizing more separation. We can acknowledge that fear expresses itself through specific channels that fear in the form of anger, fear in the form of attack expresses itself through specific channels. And so we also can take responsibility to pray for those that are the channels of fear, of separation, the people that are spouting hate. We know it comes from ego if somebody loses. And most of the stuff that you hear um, in these campaigns, someone always loses. Occasionally, you, if you listen, there's actually people that are not, there is where no one has to lose. And that's generally where I lean towards. I try to listen very clearly so I can support that, you know, honor that within myself. But the invitation here is not to villainize, not to criminalize, but to See clearly what's unfolding and then get clear. I remember when Venerable was here and she talked about one of her elders, one of her teachers that had pretty much lived in isolation in the woods but had an old radio or an old TV attached to a car battery so he could watch the news. And when she said, why do you, why, why is that what you do? Why do you watch the news? And he said, it's so I know where to direct my prayers. And he had an old um, globe. And when he would hear of war in a certain specific part of the world or whatever, something, you know, atrocities expressing itself in certain parts of the world, he would take a glass of water, pray over the water, and then pour the water over that part on the globe. He would direct his prayers. He would send it there. And that's what we can do as well. But it takes clarity of mind. And I'm not just talking on a global scale. This is what we do with our own relationships. This is what we do with our coworkers. This is what we do with our family members. This is what we do with our boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses. This is what we do with our roommates. This is what we do with our friends. This is what we do with our fellow practitioners. We become vigilant. We become the embodiment of loving discipline and aware of that when we are upset, when we are triggered, when we are um, angry by what someone else did, when we think that we, we become mindful enough to remember that we are never upset for the reason we think we are. And we do the work necessary to get the clarity that can support us in standing from a space of neutrality, a space of love. 
And we, when there's upset or discord in our life, we can allow that to be our indicator of where we are to direct our prayer. Prayer being our connecting with God, infusing and sending out love, remembering the truth, bringing, you know, being the, those that bring medicine to the collective. Venerable said to me on the last trip here, she goes, Jesse, you're giving good medicine. Meaning uh, that was her acknowledgement that we're teaching the right stuff here. We're going in the right direction. And so that's what we get to do as practitioners. And this this may be practitioners in your own life. This doesn't necessarily have to be this grand scale of spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership in your own life, this is what you get to stand as, being the healing essence in your life. And this is what forgiveness does for us. This is what is possible when we practice forgiveness, when we become committed to releasing the blame, taking full responsibility for our perception, getting, getting diligent in our practice of emotional clarity, of becoming um, masters of responsibility, responding in love, cutting the cords to reactivity, Staying centered and flexible through acceptance, acknowledging that, oh, I'm triggered, oh, I'm activated, oh, I'm in opinion, and that's okay. But what's there? So we become diligent in the practice of handing it over to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit being the bridge between ourselves and God, you know, the being the voice of the Holy Spirit being the voice, the perspective of love, if the ego is the perspective of fear. Handing it over. What's here for me? What's really going on? What do I need to know? Operate on a need to know basis. I'm only interested in knowing what I need to know that um uh I'm only interested in knowing what I need to know so I can be in peace. What will help me be peaceful here? Because if you're in judgment, you're not in peace. If you're annoyed, you're not in peace. And so all the people around us, our relationships, they're all here to support us in healing any um, perception of um, separation. All of our relationships, there's no accident. So everything in front of us, the Course in Miracles says that whoever is in front of you is your most important relationship. Think about that. Whoever is in front of you is your most important relationship. So everybody at every moment, the universe is always conspiring to support you in awakening to your truth. It's our job to remain willing to stay present. It's our job to remain willing to practice forgiveness. The path of seeing the innocence in everyone seeing the face of Christ reflected back to us. Releasing our opinions that something, uh, someone is bad, that I'm right, you know, releasing the grip of needing to be right like we talked about uh, two weeks ago in class. Getting clear on, you know, what un- an unforgiving thought is and how much work it takes to stay in upset, how much work it takes to keep someone separate from yourself, to keep someone wrong. This is the practice of unification. This is the practice of oneness. And so 
in times like this, in an election time, it's almost as if we have more support from the universe. To The call is to express more love because we have more opportunity in our face. Uh, you know, it's, it feels easy to go into separation. It feels easy to go into blame. It feels easy to go into judgment. It feels easy to go into anger and upset. So uh, to really commit to that cultivation of loving responsibility through the practice of forgiveness, radical forgiveness. And so radical forgiveness, as we really begin this journey, is going to support us in answering that question. You know, we're never upset for the reason we think we are. Well, then why are we upset? What's going on? And how can I use this upset to support me in healing, in releasing the past so I can stay present, so I can continue to take a step towards my true purpose, which is to awaken to my oneness with perfect love. So let's take a deep breath in and breathe out. And I'm going to open up the group for 15 minutes just to discuss anything that, um, to, you know, so you guys can contribute and add to the conversation, to share any thoughts that came up. Um, with the practice that we did, with the conversation that I started, and then we'll take a little break. And in the second half, uh, we're going to actually go into the Radical Forgiveness book a bit. So the circle is open for discussion, and who would like to share about um, your experiences with forgiveness or offer any questions to the group about we're never upset for the reason we think we are? Hi, this is Soki. Hi, Soki. I think uh, upset comes from, I, I remember the teachings of Byron Katie. There's upset when we oppose the is the present moment. Hey, Soki, I'm going to pause you just for one second. Are you on speakerphone? Yes. Can you put it I'm up to your... Can you put use the receiver and put it up to your mouth so we can hear you a little more clearly? Okay. Can you hear me clearly? It's a little better. Okay. So I remember the teachings of Byron Baby on the as is moment. There is always uh U N dot E A S E. Or at the at this D-I-S dot C-A-S-E. When we resist, when I resist what the act is at the present moment, and that is the source of any upset. So if I just allow, and I learned it from you, if I just allow things and events to flow freely, there wouldn't be any upset or a disease or any tension or stress. 
So I learned to just be tell myself all the time, I am. I am. I am now. I am a vibration. I am a manifestation. And so everybody around me, anything around me. So that's how I, 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 I'm learning uh, from uh, the lessons that we are. Uh, ever since I, I came to this group, this spiritual uh, practitioners group, I never had so much peace. And um, before, I'm so easy to, to be angry. I'm upset all the time. <laughs> but now, I'm not upset anymore. <laughs> just like class like Camilla said, oh, you were in a deep street. You were just lowering and just enjoying. But because I can enjoy the present moment. I don't care about what's happening tomorrow or yesterday. So these uh, teachings that I'm learning, Byron Katie, the act is moment, and the course in miracles, it's just nothing. I, I don't know anything. Just like what Robert Jennifer said last, uh, last week. I really don't know anything. So why be upset of something that I don't know? Everything well, I don't know. Are we going to pause there? And just for clarification, what Jennifer said was, I don't know what anything is for. I don't know what anything is for, which is a very valuable, very, very valuable um, tool to remember when talking about forgiveness. Um, I would add to it, though, and I would, I would say... I don't know what anything is for except for my greatest good. Because <laughs> it seems as though, um, it doesn't even seem that. I really believe that everything design, everything in our experience is designed to support us in awakening. Everything is designed to support us in awakening if we allow it, if we, if we um, develop the ability to stay present and mindful. So thank you for sharing, Soki. Who else would like to share? There's so many brilliant minds on this call. I know that there's plenty to offer. <laughs> Hi, this is Martha. Um, <laughs> well, my week has been one of just... Uh, and uh, I've tried to be peaceful this week, but I wasn't very successful at it. Good. Still kind of dealing with uh, the whole tenant thing and just the way the whole process works and just very angry. And I shared with Zach how I was so angry I wanted to slash their tires. Um, Good. Great, great awareness. <laughs> but, I mean, I like you said, you know, it's like I did have my first session with Sushant. Um, and something I blurted out in my rambling as far as um, not wanting to be here. And I hadn't had that thought in a while. But then, you know, I, I brushed it aside and just um, 
started talking about something else and address other things that we were talking about. But right now, when you were mentioning, you're like, we're never really upset for the reasons that we think we are. And I know that the whole tenant thing is it's not really them, but there's something underneath. And the same thing came up for me again, the notion that I'm angry because I really, that thing, I'm revisiting that feeling of um, feeling separated from God and really not... Um, wanting to be here like if given the choice do you want to stay or go i would go and so i don't know if it's just you know like clearing up because i think that's more that's more what it feels like but um but i think i know because when you said that yeah tears started coming down my face so i know it's it's that feeling of separation that i still have or believe, or clearing, um, but anyway, that's what came up for me. So hopefully, you know, you know it'll pass. But thank you, Silky, because you are just knowing that you are practicing it, and and I know that as I continue to move forward, you know, eventually <laughs> I will get to that point where I will be more on, you know, on the living in the present moment. But I think I'm still just clearing a lot of old stuff. So thank you. Thanks, Jess. Oh, sorry, Reverend. You know, Martha, I'm going to, one, thank you for sharing so authentically always. It's so valuable to um, hear the honest journey of our mighty companions. And just to remind you um, of, the power in acceptance. That was the first conversation we had this module was about acceptance. Accepting where we are on the path without judgment. And so it's so helpful to me, my experience, and, and this is something that I've, listen, I've just really picked this up the last year of my practice. So if if I could offer you this, my insights to help save you time, great. Um, accepting where we are on the path from the present moment without judging ourselves from where we like to be or where we think we should be. Giving ourselves the gift of just staying present and saying, I'm really angry today. Because why do you think that's effective, Martha, to just accept that today I'm angry. Right now I'm angry. Why is that effective instead of judging ourselves for being angry? Because I'm not pushing it, you know, I'm not suppressing it. Yeah, you're not making it bad. You're just accepting that you feel angry. Is it wrong to feel angry? No. No, but it's not. Kind of guilty feeling to it for me. Guilty, guilty feeling. How? What's that guilt? Well, I think it's like a kind of a frustration of not being able to surpass it, kind of thing. Like, uh-huh. okay, so I'm aware of it, and it doesn't feel good. 
so, yeah, I kind of like that whole thing of wanting it to pass, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's staying here too long kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, is it comfortable to be angry? No. <laughs> yeah, right. It's There's discomfort in anger. And why is there discomfort in anger? Because I'm believing things that are not true. Yes, exactly. That's really great. Great insight, Martha. Good. So now you have information. You have that you're angry. You have that anger is uncomfortable. And you know that you're uncomfortable because you're believing something that isn't true. Isn't that good news? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, isn't it? Well, really, think about it. No, okay, it no, is. Honestly, it is. Take it, no, honestly, take a is. year, a year ago, a year ago, if you were angry, did you have that information? One year ago. <laughs> no, but I was thinking like this. Obviously, I have advanced from one of my dad did to just slashing tires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, listen. You were angry, but but did you have the insight to know, did you have the tools and the insight to understand that it's because you are believing something that isn't true, or was the experience more of they're awful and they're ruining my life? Yeah, you're right. No, yeah, I know. Well, I'm, I'm pointing this, I'm simply pointing this out. No, it's true, it's True, it's very true. Right? Yeah. Listen. That is huge, huge, huge growth. I mean, that's leaps and bounds, baby. That is is taking, that is no longer in the first stage of spiritual consciousness. That's second stage spiritual consciousness is understanding that I'm responsible for this upset. Versus I'm a victim of my situation and circumstance. Do you see how like leaps and bounds that is, Martha? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, listen, when we can accept that we're angry and not make it wrong, understand that something is coming up to be healed. It's that idea that, uh, you know, Brandon uh, referred to a, a few weeks ago of being like, woohoo, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm angry. I'm so grateful that I'm angry because I know something is coming up to be healed. And then our job is to remain what? What's, what's always like pretty much our only job is to remain. <laughs> I want to say peaceful, but if I'm not peaceful, I don't think that's it. It's like the first, aware, it's the first thing. Willing. Yes, there it is. You got it. Willing. You just remain willing to hand it over to that part of you. To, to not, I, I want to say the part of you because I energize more separation. We hand it over to the Holy Spirit. I'm angry. I'm upset. It doesn't feel good. I am, what, the question is, what is it that I need to know? What is here for me? What is coming up to the surface to be acknowledged? Allow me to acknowledge it so that I can move through it, so I can heal it. I'm, I am interested and available for healing. And that's it. That's all that's required. You just remain willing. Hand it over. 
And in your willingness, will you be guided? Go ahead. Have you ever handed something to the Holy Spirit with crystals? (laughs) For what? I said, have you ever handed something to the Holy Spirit all pissed off? Yeah. Listen, the invitation, uh, next module, we're going to read a book called Testimony of Light. And it's an exploration of life after death. And there's a story in it about a woman. She was a missionary. Uh, She was a missionary and uh, she was murdered. with the little boy that she had adopted uh, in Africa. And they talked about her experience. After, it was a life after death experience that they were kind of talking about how she, there was sort of this, it's hard to get into without you really knowing the experience, but all I'm going to say is that she was seen as um, very spiritually advanced, even though, by the earth standards, she wouldn't be recognized as being very intellectually um, uh, sophisticated. So she wasn't what we would call, like, she wasn't super smart. You know, people Mm -hmm. would think that she was maybe simple. But she was one of the most advanced souls that came through this experience that they were observing, and she ascended to a higher state of consciousness quicker than anybody else. And it was because what she did, part of her practice was she handed everything over to what she called her inner guide. She handed everything over to her inner guide. Any, like, she would hand over, um, what do I do today? Where do I go today? Um, I'm handing over this um, car ride to you. I'm handing over this service work I'm about to do to you. Um, what should I have for dinner? I'm handing over this meal to you. She would hand everything, everything, everything over to her inner guide. That inner guide we call the Holy Spirit, spiritual perspective. So she was in alignment always. She was being guided always um, because she was in a constant state of willingness. And that allowed her to be in a, I mean, to experience, you know, when we're in a state of willingness, when we're handing everything over, that's the experience is one of clarity and of ease. And it gave, she, was, she wasn't distracted with trying to figure everything out because she was constantly handing everything over that she was able to allow her loving essence to express more. And there's probably something, you know, to be said too about the idea of ego analyzes where spirit accepts and allows. And so she wasn't analyzing everything. What does that mean? Whatever she allowed, she accepted that, um, you know, that God was everything. She accepted that she was being guided and she handed it over. She honored that and handed everything over to her guide. And she developed a state of spiritual maturity or awareness that allowed her to move through the evolutionary process much quicker. It's an interesting idea of, the, you know, an example of the power in handing it over, of being, of remaining willing to see what is going on here. If I'm never upset for the reason I think I am, why am I upset? And the answer always goes back to some form of separation. 
And so we continue to hand it over to the Holy Spirit, our guide that knows how to align us with unification, with oneness, with perfect love. And the result of this, my experience, is that life just gets easier. It just gets easier. And I stay mindful, I stay present, and when I'm upset, I acknowledge I'm upset. I don't make it bad or good. I just acknowledge that I'm upset and I understand that something is coming up. I'm, belie- I'm seeing something, there's a misperception, and I'm willing to see it correctly so that I can experience peace because I'm interested in peace. I'm not making myself wrong for not being peaceful, but I'm aware that I'm out of alignment in some capacity, and I hand it over. I remain curious and willing. And this is how we do the work. So I just want to really bow to your ability to be honest, Martha, because it's so important to accept and allow the feelings to come forward so that we can really work with them instead of suppressing them and denying that they're there. So let's all take a deep breath in and breathe out. And we're going to take a short break because... um, I'd like to get to the work, and we started a little late today because of the technical glitch. So let's take three minutes to just use the restroom, refill your water or tea, and let's come back. It's 9.34. I'll meet you back here at 9.37. Please don't hang up. Leave your phone um, on.
Okay, we are back. So I'm going to invite everyone to take out Radical Forgiveness. And turn to Chapter 2. We'll go back to Jill's story, which is was your assigned reading for the week. So um, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about that story. But first, we're going to actually read together through Chapter 2. Um, and here is the reading order. The reading order, let me see, I have to write it down so I can... Helps me. The reading order will be, um, I'll go first, Reverend Jesse, and then Brandon, you'll go. And then uh, Martha, and Zach, and Jen, and Soki, and L.E. All right, cool. So, Jesse, Brandon, Martha, Zach, Jen, Elliot. So you just got to remember who's in front of you. And we'll go paragraph by paragraph, okay? And um, we might pause while we read after some of these assumptions, but um, here we go. All right. Chapter 2 in Radical Forgiveness, Underlining Assumptions. Since all theories are based upon certain assumptions, it is important to have an understanding of the spiritual assumptions underlining the theory and practice of radical forgiveness. Before looking at these, though, it's worth noting that even the most widely accepted scientific theories are often based on assumptions for which there is very little hard evidence. We can say the same thing about the basic assumptions handed down throughout the ages about God, human nature, in the spiritual realm. While there is little hard scientific evidence to support their validity, such assumptions have been handed down to us as universal truths or principles for centuries and have formed the foundation for many great spiritual traditions throughout the world. They certainly are foundational to radical forgiveness. Some of these assumptions are now being proven by physicists to be scientifically well-founded. I prefer to use the word assumption rather than belief or even principle because simply classifying an idea as an assumption allows for the possibility of a greater truth emerging in the future. I am more likely to be open to seeing the deeper meaning in something if I am not ego invested in a belief system. I feel obliged to defend. Um, I prefer to hang out in the question rather than take a fixed position on something that has yet to be proven. I have also discovered that the process of radical forgiveness works equally well whether you believe in it or not. So long as you are willing to try it and use the tools the system provides, it seems to work. Belief is not necessary. In any case, radical forgiveness makes very little sense to the rational mind. At least that part of the mentality that is grounded in everyday reality as proceeds through the five senses. That's because radical forgiveness operates according to spiritual law, not physical law. It is essentially a metaphysical idea. Nevertheless, in order to wrap our minds around the basic idea as best we can, 
It helps to go over some of the assumptions that give some structure to the concept and the quasi-rational basis for understanding the technology. Ellie? Um, each assumption listed here is expanded upon at length in various other places in the book. They are as follows. We have bodies that die, but we have immortal souls that existed prior to our incarnation and continue to exist, exist after death. Therefore, death is an illusion. Beautiful. While, okay. Hold on, we're going to pause here just for a second. And so what the author, Colin Tipping, is inviting us to um, practice as we learn the method of radical forgiveness, the philosophy and method of radical forgiveness, is to pretty much, he's, he summed up spiritual sovereignty, what we call spiritual sovereignty, which is um, you don't know until you know, but if we remain willing, then you'll be able to discover the efficacy of this practice for yourself. And then you'll know. <laughs> then you'll know. He, these assumptions pretty much outline and um, sort of break down in a more simplistic way the philosophy of mysticism, of oneness, um, of a, the philosophy, the teachings of A Course in Miracles. Colin Tippings is a Course in Miracles teacher. Uh, the radical forgiveness thing is derived from the teachings and practice of A Course in Miracles. And so we're going to now go over the philosophical structure of oneness. And it's important to have um, a hold on this so that you can fully understand radical forgiveness, why it works, how it works, and also in a way so you can hold the space while practicing it and teaching it to other people. Okay? And so we'll go through the assumptions, and I really love that he calls them assumptions. Uh, we'll go through each assumption. I'm going to invite you to take notes, really highlight, so if you have questions, um, we can uh, talk about it. So we'll pause, actually, after each assumption. If you'd like to say something, feel free to do so, okay? So, Ellie, would you read the first assumption again? Sure. We have bodies that die, but we have immortal souls that existed prior to our incarnation and continue to exist after death. Therefore, death is an illusion. Beautiful. So let's pause. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts on that? Next module, we'll actually be really exploring this assumption. That's pretty much going to be the, um, a, a large part of um, the next module because uh, it's important for us as practitioners to contemplate this because one of the first questions anyone will ever ask you about when you say that you're a spiritual teacher or whatever or if you're talking about Inspire, one of the first questions people tend to ask is what do you believe happens when you die? And so to at least start the conversation and get us thinking about that, um, what we do know is that God is infinite. God is eternal. And we are an expression of that. We are an extension of God. And so by nature, this, by reasoning, that means 
that we too are eternal. So life does not begin at birth and it does not end at death. So this is something that we have to be willing to contemplate in order to fully understand the teaching of radical forgiveness. Our, our true nature is on the soul level. And, um, and we're all part of the infinite allness, the creative essence that is God. So I'll read the second assumption. While our bodies and our senses tell us we are separate individuals, we are all one. We all individually vibrate as part of a single whole. Uh, Questions? Again, take notes, guys. Highlight, mark anything that you might want to go back to. All right, and uh, vibrate as part of a single whole. That single whole, if you want, you could probably mark down uh, God. Brandon? In order to exponentially expand our awareness of oneness, we agree to come to this world of duality in order to experience the exact opposite of oneness, separation. I don't know about that one. <laughs> you know, there are parts of it that um, I agree with you. I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm totally on board with that, but that's good. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's sort of, actually, he talks about, in just a couple of these assumptions, he talks about the ego, and he pretty much lays out the two sort of, what I call kind of the two types of poor students. One saying that we're here sort of as adventurers collecting data and the other um, idea of, and he definitely leans towards that philosophy. It's clear in his writing. But the other idea being that um, it's more the foundational fundamentalist teaching of A Course in Miracles that um, we're sort of, the ego mind is actively working to keep us in this state of separation. Um, we won't go too deep into that yet because that's really all next year is mysticism. Uh, and so we'll really be exploring that. Uh, but for right now, be flexible, be willing, and always, um, if you have questions, share them so we can all get kind of clear on that. But for the sake of today's exercise, um, we can understand that the the teacher is presenting this idea, this assumption, and uh, but it doesn't have to be your assumption. Cool. Cool, cool. But um, I'm there with you. <laughs> I'm there with you. <laughs> um, okay, next. Uh, Martha. Um, part of the agreement was that we would forget the world of oneness we came from in order to fully experience the pain of separation. Great. When we have experienced the amount of pain we agreed to have in this lifetime, we use radical forgiveness to awaken and remember who we are. Okay. So, um, you know, I'll share that uh, Venerable Dahani, who is the most awake person I've met in my life, um, she has teachings that are very similar to this. 
that we are here as adventurers collecting data for the collective, collecting data in the, essence, in the sense of answering the question, what would being separate from God be like? So it's not necessarily that it's a mistake and uh, an illusion in which we're trapped, but we're actually here by choice. We all agreed to incarnate. And that's a lot of mystical teachers, uh, teachers that teach mysticism, teach from that standpoint. And so this is, um, Colin Tiffin is giving us one perspective, one sort of idea uh, about mysticism and about our participation in this level, this sort of the material realm. And so again, stay curious, stay willing, stay open, and let's just see where it takes us. Um, All right, let's continue on. Since the pain of separation is an emotional experience, we need a body to be able to feel it. Okay. Let's just keep reading, and if there's a big, and we'll just sort of pause after each one. If somebody would like to say something, feel free to input, and we'll stop and we'll pause. We'll talk about it. Go ahead. The human, sure. The human experience is meant to be an emotional one. So the extent to which we deny our feelings is the extent to which we deny our purpose for being here. Toki? We are spiritual beings having a spiritual experience in human body. Ellie? Vibrationally, we live in two worlds simultaneously, the world of divine truth, spirit, the world of humanity. Is there another sentence there, Ellie? Um, Once we awaken, we can live comfortably in both. So you're talking about enlightenment here. So um, enlightenment being full awareness of oneness while still operating um, in this, in the physical plane. Um, Is anyone on the call here familiar with Bodhisattva, what a Bodhisattva is? Mm Mm-hmm. Brandon. Incarnate Buddha. Um, A Buddha mind, yeah. So it's... um, a bodhisattva is an, an awakened being, an enlightened being, who has uh, chosen to stay in the physical realm until everyone has awakened. So it's uh, someone who has achieved enlightenment but has decided to have, has agreed to stay in the world to support all of humanity in awakening to their oneness. The, um, like Kwan. Kuan Yin, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kuan Yin, as many people know, that I'm looking at her right now, she's on my altar. Um, <laughs> Kuan Yin is sort of the deity, the um, symbol of the Bodhisattva. She remains on this plane to support um, the awakening of all humanity. What a gal. Okay, <laughs> next one. <laughs> Isn't she great? 
The world of humanity is a spiritual classroom, and life is the curriculum. Our lessons are the events that happen in life. The objective is to awaken to the truth of who we are and return home. So the Course in Miracles says that we each have an individualized curriculum. Consider what that means, an individualized curriculum. And this is what we talk about, sort of like the perfection of our path and our experiences, that everything in our experience is designed to support us in awakening to the truth of who we are. And yet, because of our unique experiences, lifetimes of unique experiences, certain things will speak to different people in a different way. And so what will support me in awakening will be different than what's going to support Jennifer in awakening. Jen O'Brien has her own set of, her own curriculum that's going to support her in transcending the human experience and aligning with her spiritual truth. But it's not going to be the same to me. That's why, like, A Course in Miracles also says that um, our students are pre-assigned. So if you think about it, how many times have you read the same saying in like a spiritual text and yet it didn't make sense or didn't resonate or you didn't really get it until you read it by a certain person? And you're like, ah, this is it. This is legit. Um, That's your, you've been pre-assigned to that person. They're your teacher. That it's, it's through their experiences, through their voice, through their language that you can connect with, you can hear and resonate with the truth. So an individualized curriculum means that it's going to be what will best support you specifically in awakening. So, and everyone's is different. Thank God. Brandon? When we decided to incarnate into the world of humanity, God gave us total free will to live the experiment in any way we choose and to find for ourselves the way back home. That's free will. That's sort of an idea of free will. Martha? We have three forms of intelligence, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Our spiritual intelligence knows the truth of who we are and connects us directly to universal intelligence. So our spiritual intelligence, um, similar to subconscious mind, similar to, uh, I would like to think of our spiritual intelligence being the Holy Spirit. That's how I resonate with it. The, the, our, our translator, the voice of God in the illusion that we are participating in currently. Our emotional intelligence supports us in, like Martha was talking about, it lets us know that we're out of alignment with truth. Our spiritual intelligence will guide us back to the truth. Our emotional intelligence supports us in uh, knowing that we are out of alignment. And our mental intelligence just messes with us, man. (laughs) I'm joking. Um, Zach. Life is not random. It provides for the purpose of unfoldment of our own divine plan with opportunities to make choices and decisions 
in every moment guided by our higher self and ego. Yeah, so that's the individualized curriculum we're talking about. So, um, you know, you hear, like, there are no coincidences. You know, it's not random. Everything, and I believe this to be true, everything, like we said earlier today, is designed to support you in awakening. It's perfectly designed. Every breath, every, every situation, and this is important to, I think, important to contemplate, is the sacredness of each life, of each moment, each interaction you have with someone. Whoever is standing in front of you is your most valuable relationship. So really consider all the times that you, you know, like were on your phone in line at the checkout counter when that was an opportunity to connect with your, you were in relationship with the most important person in your life. It was the person standing in front of you, but you know, we were busy tweeting or updating our Facebook status or talking to someone on the phone. It's, it's interesting to really contemplate that. Like if we decided to really take that on and be vigilant in our practice of um, awakening and supporting our brothers and sisters in awakening and embodying the bodhisattva um, essence, how could we connect more with other people by simply being present? It's a thought. So, and and then contemplate like every time that you've had a a car accident, every time that you stub your toe, every time you, um, you know, miss the bus or whatever it is. Like, if nothing is random, then how could anything be, how could we ever be in the wrong place? How could we ever not be on time? Okay, so here are the two ego theories that he's going to uh, share now. Um, And Jin, go ahead and read them. There are two definitions of the ego. The first sees it as our friend and loving guide, while the second casts it as our enemy. They are as follows. One, a part of our soul whose job it is in cahoots with our higher self and our spiritual intelligence to lovingly find all sorts of ways for us to experience the pain of separation, that bringing, that being the purpose for our being on the earth plane. Two, an insidious, deep-seated subconscious guilt complex based on our belief that we are committed the original sin of separating from God, who will eventually punish us for doing so. The ego seeks every way possible to reinforce itself and blocks any attempt to reveal the truth that we never separated from God at all. It clearly ensures us its survival by protecting us from our overwhelming guilt, as well as the fear of God's wrath through the mechanisms of repression and projection. So, pausing here... (laughs) It's it's we're not going to spend too much time on this today because it really is like I mean the idea of ego um, can be I mean we could spend the entire two years and we sort of are spending the entire two years talking about ego. Here's how I hold ego. I'll just share what how I hold it. I hold ego as a belief system. It's a belief system of separation. I don't give it more power than that because it's not real. 
separation never occurred. The way that A Course in Miracles teaches about ego is actually much more aligned with the second definition about it being, um, like I said, sort of an insidious, deep-seated, subconscious guilt complex. The subconscious guilt that creates all the pain um, and uh, feelings that are a result of separation from the belief that we had to kill God in order to be free, order, in order to be our individualized self. It never happened. It never happened. We are still at home in the loving embrace of the divine. We never left. So it's just a misperception that we did. Now, and it's just a belief system. It's not a monster. It's just a belief system. In fact, in the original edition of A Course in Miracles, I believe that Helen Schuchman referred to uh, it as either the human eye or the human mind and, or the spiritual eye, spiritual mind. Um, and that's really what it is, is the human mind, human being, we are these bodies, we're a human being, or spiritual mind, being we are all one. We're spiritual beings having this misperception experience. So don't think too hard on it right now. We'll go back to this discussion. We'll be discussing ego plenty. So we all have, you can have your own clarity around the idea of what is the ego. And there's many books written on it, many ideas, many papers published on the ego debating, you know, its role. What Colin Tipping's what Colin Tipping pretty much presents is the idea of, well, it's here, we're working with it, might as well make friends with it so we can have a peaceful experience. Maybe it's supporting us in having experiences that feel painful so that we can get to solution, so that we can get to our awakening. And that's one idea, it's one approach. And really, the invitation for you is what feels the most peaceful to you. And like anything, one of the first things we discussed, one of the very first things we discussed in this, uh, and it was Ernest Holmes's teaching, was always pause and contemplate channeled material. Don't just accept it for what it is. And the invitation is also here with this, is practice spiritual sovereignty. Read it, be willing, be open, do the work, see if it's effective, and then at, when you go out there to um, support other people in the world, use what works for you. And then don't use what doesn't. It's that simple. But for the sake of uh, moving forward, let's continue on. Um, and Silky. We create our reality with the law of cause and effect. But as causes show up in our world as physical effects. Reality is an outplay of our consciousness. A world offers a mirror of our beliefs. At the soul level, we get precisely what we need in our lives for our spiritual growth. How we judge what we get determines whether we experience life as painful or joyful. So that is all about perspective. Oh, I'm next. Through relationship, we grow and learn. Through relationship, we heal and are returned to wholeness and truth. 
We need others to mirror our misperceptions and our projections and to help us bring repressed material to consciousness for healing. Through the law of resonance, we attract people who resonate with our issues so that we can heal them. For example, if abandonment is our issue, we tend to attract people who abandon us. In that sense, these people serve as our teachers. See chapter 8. We come into the physical life experience with a mission to fully experience a particular energy pattern so we can feel the feelings associated with that pattern and then transform that energy through love. Physical reality is an illusion created by our five senses. Matter consists of inter, uh, interrelating energy fields vibrating at different frequencies. See chapter 13. And Jen, you want to read the final note? And this is an important note. Okay. Note, if you find yourself unable to accept any of these assumptions, simply disregard them. It will make no difference to the effectiveness of the radical forgiveness experience. And I agree with that. I, um, the reason we teach radical forgiveness is because it is an effective approach to forgiveness, and one that, um, when applied, has, I've experienced tremendous, tremendous healing potential. So, um, like anything here, take what works and leave the rest behind. Remain willing to, uh, remain willing and flexible, and see what insights you have. This is philosophy. This is, um, we are, you know, aiming to understand the meaning of life, the, um, the truth that connects us all. So what a fun experience. And um, so we'll read lots of uh, different philosophies and some you'll really resonate with and some you won't. And we had a really wonderful experience uh, with the first-year practitioners last um, last module module when we were discussing life after death because it brought up a lot of stuff to people, and no one was right and no one was wrong. We got to continue uh, to have an expansive conversation, always evolving, and so yeah. So let's all just um, be willing, flexible, playful mindful participants. So we've read these assumptions. And now with those assumptions in mind, let's go back to chapter one, to Jill's story. And let's talk about, uh, you know, we read uh, an abridged version of this last uh last module and we introduced the idea that um, we kind of introduced the idea loosely like sort of soul contracts of how everything is happening for us for our awakening how um, belief systems will continue to manifest experiences that feel similar until we are able to heal them and so what Colin Tippings is presenting is the idea that 
on a soul level, the people that enter our lives that trigger us the most, that seem to be hurting us the most, are actually our greatest teachers. Here to support us in awakening to our oneness, to heal those belief systems that are preventing us from experiencing unification with the divine, our true self. And so Jill's story, I think, is a beautiful, clear story that he's able to compose to clearly show us how, uh, it's a clear example of how this manifested in his sister's life and how she was able to heal a deep-rooted belief that kept presenting itself in her relationships. So, I'm going to invite you to turn to page seven in Jill's story. And I have a few places really highlighted to talk about uh, that I feel like can support us in sort of just beginning the conversation of radical forgiveness. So page seven, the second paragraph, (laughs) um, the section reads, I believe it's the second sentence, this would require that my sister open up to the possibility that something beyond the obvious was happening, something that was purposeful, divinely guided, and intended for her highest good. Yet she was so committed to being the victim in the situation that I wasn't sure I could get her to hear an interpretation of just behavior that would take her out of that role. Still, just as my sister began yet another repetition of what she had said the day before, I decided to intervene. Tentatively, I said, Jill, are you willing to look at the situation differently? Would you be open to me giving you quite a different interpretation of what is happening? So Jill's weaving her story. She's been, you know, the story is that her husband is, has this really intense relationship with his daughter after the death of her daughter's husband. And he's been sort of giving all this attention to his daughter, sort of alienating Jill in a passive-aggressive, strange way. And it's really bringing up all of her shit. She feels hurt, and it's been going on for so long that she's thinking that she's going to divorce him. And so what is the first thing that's required on the level of, let's just for all intents and purposes for this discussion, let's call the Jill character, the client. What is the first thing that is required from the client in order to begin the process of radical forgiveness? Willingness. Yes, exactly. Willingness. And what is the first thing that's required from all of us in order to begin the process of forgiveness? You just said it. Willingness. Willingness. (laughs) Willingness, willingness, willingness. If every single one of you stenciled the word willingness above your bed at night and looked at it, that would be probably the level of commitment (laughs) that will really support you in being able to do anything. Willingness. And so in regards to the article we read on what is forgiveness two weeks ago, what must we be willing to do in regards to forgiveness? We must be willing to what? Colleen, Colleen, Colleen Tavines just said this too. Think things from a different perspective. Yes, 
We must be willing to see things from a different perspective. Well done. Spot on, everyone. So the next page that I'm going to invite you to turn to uh, is page 12. So what we have, Brandon, would you read the last paragraph on page 12? Uh, And it goes on to the next page, but read the whole paragraph. Interpreting Jill's story from a radical forgiveness standpoint, I easily saw that Jeff's outwardly strange behavior was unconsciously designed to support Jill in healing her unresolved relationship with her father. If she could see this and recognize the perfection in Jeff's behavior, she could heal her pain and Jeff's pain would almost certainly stop. However, I wasn't sure how to explain this to Jill in a way she could understand at that point in time. Luckily, I didn't have to try. She stumbled on the obvious connection by herself. Okay, so Brandon, since I have you on the line, what is the underlining assumption in that paragraph? The the client can draw the conclusions for themselves and probably should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. And also, what is the other assumption that is manifesting itself in that situation, in Jeff's behavior? What is he assuming? Um, Je- Jeff's the husband, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's reflecting um, Jill's expectations and fears back to her. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So the underlying assumption there is that there's two, and Brandon hit it on the head. So let's say the client is sharing this experience that they're having, and the underlying assumption is, one, that the other person, the person that seems to be the victimizer, is ex- displaying a behavior that is triggering that person and the assumption is it's happening to support the person in healing a belief system. And also that, and this is crucially important as a spiritual counselor, that the client has what is needed to draw that conclusion themselves. Our job is to support them and guide them to that. We don't point it out for them. Questions? Are we good? Okay, page 14. Uh, Martha, the last paragraph on page 14 that goes on to page 15 as well. Could you read that? So on the last paragraph of page 14. Okay. Looked at from a spiritual standpoint, our discomfort in any given situation provides a signal that we are out of alignment with spiritual law and are being given an opportunity to heal something. It may be pause, some original... Pause for one second. Isn't that funny, Martha, that you're reading that one? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, exactly what we were talking about one. earlier today. <laughs> All right, go ahead, continue. It may be some original pain or perhaps a toxic belief that stops us from becoming our true selves. We don't often see it from this perspective, however. Rather, we judge the situation and blame others for what is happening, which prevents us from seeing the message or understanding the lesson. 
This prevents us from healing. If we don't heal whatever needs to be healed, we must create more discomfort until we are literally forced to ask, what is going on here? Sometimes the message has to become very loud or the pain extremely intense before we pay attention. A life-threatening illness, for example, provides a loud message. Yet, even when facing death, some people don't get the connection between what is happening in their lives and the opportunity for healing that it provides. Oh, I love this work. I do. I love how so many of these, we, we, we study different teachers, different authors, and so many of them. It reminds me of the writing in the Ernest Holmes and Living the Science of Mind about what the, mystic, what the mystics taught and how, um, you know, there's that underlining truth that they each come to that underlining truth. They separately, you know, on their own, they come to the same truth that we're all one and that, that's the creative essence of all things and from that space is all life given and we're not separate. <laughs> well, it's the same here. I'm, I'm reading in what Martha just read, I'm hearing Byron Katie as well, that it's all perception. It's all perception. And thank God that it's designed to, you know, make us more uncomfortable and more uncomfortable so we'll start to really listen. And it's up to us to decide when enough is enough. In recovery programs, I really love that they say, you get to choose your rock bottom. You can decide when this is as low as I'll ever go. I only get to go up from this point. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to be homeless on the street, although that's what's required with some people. And so, with this, is when are you complete with feeling victimized? When has holding on to an unforgiving thought or blame or a belief system and separation, an unloving belief system, when has it become too painful or too upsetting to where you're finally willing to let it go? And the idea of the individualized curriculum is that, you know, that's for you to decide and only for you to decide. And if you remain willing to understand clearly, then when it's time, when you're really ready, the opportunity will present itself to do the healing. Oh, God, God is so good. I just love how it all works. So let's turn to page 17. Um, and there's a line, it's in the third paragraph on page 17, and it's the last sentence there. And I'll just read it because it's really just a continuation of what we just said. From that point on, you continually created situations in your life to support your belief that you are not enough. So the, so the misinterpretation in Jill's story, is that her dad didn't love her. And she developed a belief system that she wasn't enough. And so from that point on, once that belief system of I'm not enough was established, 
she created situation after situation after situation to reiterate that belief. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And it manifested as her first husband cheating on her. It's manifesting as her current husband um, putting all of his attention on his daughter and ignoring her. It manifested in, you know, her father adoring his granddaughter but not not loving her enough. And so really think about that. That's going to be part of our homework this week is to see what pattern or patterns have you either healed that you were able to really identify and heal or what experiences are you beginning to see, what patterns are you beginning to see in your own life? And what do you think the underlying belief system might be there? This is the work that we're going to do this, this, um, this module through practicing different approaches to forgiveness. I'm going to also read the last sentence, uh, the last sentence on page 18 at the very bottom because it's just a continuation. <clears throat> we always create our reality according to our beliefs. If you want to know what your beliefs are, look at what you have in your life. Life always reflects our beliefs. That's Ernest Holmes' teaching. That's cause and effect. That's uh, Byron Katie. That's everything. Our thoughts are creative. If you're interested in understanding what your belief systems are, look at your life. So let's page, turn to page 20. And this is going to be the last section that we look at today. And um, Zach, I'm going to have you uh, read this. Um, actually, Zach and Jen, you'll alternate paragraph by paragraph. So uh, you're going to start with the second paragraph on page 20 with the line, yes, I think so. And you're going to end on page 21. Um, the, last, uh, the last thing you'll read will be the first paragraph on page 21. So from the second paragraph to 20 to the first paragraph of page 21, um, paragraph by paragraph, Zach and Jen. Go ahead. Yes, I think so, she said. It was reflecting my belief that I had formed because I felt so unloved by my dad. It was making me write about not being enough. Is that correct? Yes, and to the extent that he provided you with that opportunity, he deserved credit, actually, more than you realize right now. We have no way of knowing whether he would have stopped his behavior had you healed your issues around dad at the time or whether you would have left him. Either way, he would have served you powerfully well. So, in that sense, he deserves not only your forgiveness, but your deep gratitude as well. And you know what? It wasn't his fault that you didn't understand the true message of his behavior. I know it was hard for you to see that he was trying to give you a great gift. That's not how we are taught to think. We're not taught to look at what's going on and say, look what I've created in my life. Isn't that interesting? Instead, we are taught to judge, lay blame, accuse, play victim, and seek revenge. Neither are we taught to think that our lives are directed by forces other than our own conscious minds, but in truth, they are. In fact, it was Henry's soul that tried to help you heal. On the surface, he just acted out his sexual addiction, 
but his soul, working with your soul, choose to use the addiction for your spiritual growth. Recognizing this fact is what radical forgiveness is all about. Its purpose lies in seeing the truth behind the apparent circumstances of a situation and recognizing the love that always exists there. Oh. So we're all one in the mind of God. There's no coincidences. We have the relationships in our lives for a reason. If you're willing to believe that, then, you're, then you have everything that's necessary to practice radical forgiveness. Radical forgiveness being the idea that is like teaching in A Course in Miracles that nothing, that what you think happened to you didn't happen, that everything is designed to support you in awakening to your oneness, your perfect, uh, your perfection, the love that is in everything. But it requires us to cut the cords to victimization. It requires us to cut the cords to blame. It requires us to cut the cords to shame. To take full responsibility for our part in every situation while releasing the blame. And then we begin to see the innocence in everyone, in, in all who participated. We transcend the personality and we're able to tap into the true essence, the spirit. Does anybody have any final thoughts on this? Any, anything that is brewing in those brilliant, beautiful minds of yours? Okay, so here's your homework for the week. Your homework is to read Chapter 3. Your homework is to read Chapter 3 in Radical Forgiveness. And then... uh, your written homework is to share with me to write one page or more on the biggest, <laughs> it's, it's challenging to say this in the right way, um, a, an experience in your life in which you were able to forgive. And this is like your most, your, your biggest, most epic forgiveness practice that you've encountered in your life and what did you learn from the experience? How did you do it? What did you have to forgive and how did you do it? Share your own experience with me. Submit it to me. Email me. Please have it in to me by Friday, by noon. Your, your biggest forgiveness opportunity that you've experienced in your life. How did you do it? How did you forgive? When did it finally become too much? What did you learn from the experience? Just share your entire experience around your largest forgiveness experience. So read chapter three and then write a page and submit to me by Friday your, um, 
biggest forgiveness opportunity and what you pulled from the experience. Any questions? Beautiful. Brandon, would you pray us out today? Sure. Thank you. All right. We're going to breathe in the power of God's peace. And then exhaling that peace. Divine creator, universe, God, love, we call to that which holds us at our highest. Thank you for the experiences and lessons and conversations and memories and future moments in which we realize that we are united together in this journey, that we rely on each other to experience grace and forgiveness and joy and peace, and that when we are looking to expand and grow that we can turn to one another and ask to have God reveal her or himself to us in those moments. We are so blessed to have this awareness today and to not be afraid of the power of that awareness and to not feel guilty about that awareness and to not feel shame about knowing more and more and more about your will for us, but to really relax into it Today, may we experience this unfolding of peace and joyfulness and playfulness throughout our upcoming week as we practice in your name, in your grace, in your loving spirit, and so it is. So it is. Let's all just take a deep breath in. Place a hand on our heart and breathe out. So grateful. Thank you guys for um, showing up for being willing, for applying these practices into your life, for expressing miracles in your life, for allowing me, giving me the privilege to observe it, expressing your life as your life. I love you all so much. Read Chapter 3. Submit one page on your biggest forgiveness opportunity and what you learned from it to me by Friday at noon. And I look so forward to connecting with you next Saturday at 8.30. I love you all. Bye. Love you. Thank you.